Good morning, New York. This is Professor Presti, and you're listening to AM Power Talk Radio. And we have an extraordinary show today. So get to the phone lines, get those phones in your hands, and get ready because we're going to start right away. We are going to talk about the power of theater and theatrical politics, the week of the conservative movement, what you've seen, and how to put it in a theatrical paradigm so that in some ways we can discuss what's happening in the political world and somehow reveal some godliness and some divine presence. And first up, we are joined by one of my former students, Nicole Tucker, who has just produced her first off-Broadway play, and I'd like her to speak to us about her experience in my classroom. Nicole, are you there? Hi, Professor Presty. How are you? Good I'm morning. well. How are you doing, Nicole, today? Pretty good. So what it, was it like to be one of my students? Oh, very interesting, but very informative. <laughs> I always enjoyed your class. <laughs> Did I inspire you to go out and make a difference and use theater as a vehicle to do that? Yes, you did. Um, one of the things that you, I guess, emphasize in your lectures um, that, you know, live theater is a, a form that a lot of times that we can use to talk about different subjects, especially when we're not seeing them in film. Um, and I, when I came across the opportunity to do um, this play called Sister's Keeper uh, that a friend of mine wrote, I thought it was a great opportunity and a great subject, um, especially because of the content. Yes, it, it seems that it is a way to inform people and help them become acquainted with major issues that they may not be seeing in mainstream media or in any media outlets and bring them yeah. together in an intimate space to explore the topic. And your topic was involving HIV rates amongst African-American women. Is that correct? That's correct. Which and is- we really wanted to tackle the issue and, and destigmatize um, the perception of HIV among the black community because rates are still high even though the rates of HIV and AIDS have gone down significantly across the country, but we still see an increase um, among black women and African Americans. Certainly yeah. an important topic, Nicole, and I really appreciate you joining us this morning. Do you have a website where some listeners to go to, go to find out more about the show? Um, it's sisterskeeperplay.com. Great. And hopefully we'll have you on again in the future and talk more about your experience in my classroom and who knows what may transpire between us in a potential co-production of something that seems very inspiring. (laughs) That would be great. All right. God bless. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, Professor Farsky, for having me. Thank you. So, have you just heard from one of my former students, the power of theater can transform lives and bring together issues that we have not seen. And what's happening in the political vacuum today is that politics and the government, there is an emptiness. It's sort of institutional obsolescence in terms of what is the government really doing for us since everything seems to be controlled by big media, big corporate interests, and are Americans' interests properly being represented in government institutions and even religious institutions. We have a papal visit coming upon us. And is the Pope representing the people's interest? Or is there another way to go about it? And that is theatricality. Everybody wants to be theatrical these days. They need to have presence in the media. They need to have presence, as we can see in certain campaign candidates, what that theatrical presence means for poll numbers. And joining us today in a shortened interview is Tony Award-winning producer Ken Davenport. As we explore this question, has theater become 
a sort of religious proxy in America. Beautiful, because community, it seems, a very big theme. And as you discussed, Les Mis was a transcendental experience if, when you saw it. And Godspell is a, a show about religion. And in many ways, as I keep telling my friends, I think theater is the new religion. Like, for people who are leaving churches or traditional religions, they are going to theater to have that connection with the divine, to be part of a creative process. And I sense that more now in New York audiences than ever before, that it's not only the audience wanting to connect to what's on stage, but wanting to connect what's around them, to have a communal experience to transport them beyond the ordinary. I think you're 100% right. I think that's why Broadway is booming now. We are so in our own selves and in our own devices these days. We don't have to leave the house. We've got a phone right there. We've got a laptop. We've got all these things that makes it a very lonely world, to be honest. Sure, we can connect with people all over the world, which is a great thing, but it's still two-dimensional. We can do it through video games or through chatting or through apps and all this. But the theater does that time-honored tradition of getting people to assemble in one common room and share one message. And that goes back to, to the caveman days where they told the stories of the hunt, you know, at the end of the day, uh, to greet times, etc. And I think there's a real craving for that now, more of a craving now than ever before, especially since we have all these other not as personal ways to communicate. And we crave it. And that's why I think people go to the theater. No, absolutely. And you could see it as you enter our house today on Broadway. Yes. And for that complete interview, you can go to ampowertalk.com, ampowertalk.com. There is a podcast entitled Theatrical Expression and Time Travel with Ken Davenport. That's right. Theatrical Expression and Time Travel because Ken's working on a new musical, Somewhere in Time. And I do have an interview from my previous show at Princeton, with uh, the world-renowned astrophysicist Professor Richard Gott, who wrote a book on Einstein's time travel and Einstein's universe, makes for interesting juxtaposition of theater and science. But once again, theater has a drive, has a vehicle to inform and educate, especially about political topics. So as you know, if you listened to last week's show, all the information we are putting forth today can be found on ampowertalk.com. Go to the right of the screen, recent posts. You'll see there, Theatrical Politics 2.0, Trump Trumps Hamilton. And for those of you who don't know, Hamilton is the blockbuster musical this season on Broadway, helping bring political issues into uh, an audience, into a theatrical space. And we're going to be taking cues from all the information you see on that post But I'd like to start, first of all, just to show you, to demonstrate what can be done with theater. And to do that, I have a clip of Hillary Clinton on The Jimmy Fallon Show. And just imagine if you saw a skit to this number with this piece of music. Got a little motto, always sees me through. When you're good to mama, mama's good to you. That's right. Could you imagine if Hillary did a skit where she was giving information about how many favors she was prepared to give? That's right. Just think of that book, Clinton Cash. She could have spoofed it, made a parody of it, and helped educate the American public. Was she giving out favors? What was she doing at the State Department? What is she doing in those emails? And God only knows what she had to give. That's right. Quid pro quo in politics. 
It's been around since the beginning of time. Come on, Hillary, give us a show. Because that smile on your face, you are born for the stage. Use it, baby. Use it while you have it. So there's just one example of what can be done in theatrical paradigms. Could you imagine what we could have learned about Hillary, what's going on in the email scandals, and what's happening in the political stage around us? Now let us go to another issue, which sort of dovetails to one of Ken Davenport's productions this season, Spring Awakening, uh, because there's a, a song in that musical that contains an expletive, and this conservative pundit used the same expletive as she described a group of people. So let's think of this person and Coulter to this piece of music from Avida. What do we do for a dream to survive? That's right. What did she do to her dream to survive? We have seen since June of this year, since the early summer, She's been so desperate for media attention. She had no airtime on Fox. She had no way to promote her book. Her recent book didn't really do very well in the in bestsellers list. And what did she do to try to get an audience? Instead of elevating them and helping them see what her book could do for them in terms of bringing them closer to a divine presence, to an understanding of God, to an understanding of working together, to an understanding of strong strengthening community she uses uses an expletive an expletive that jumps off the twitter page and gives her media attention so was it important for her to get that attention now that she has it and what has she done with it the fact that ann Coulter would even use the term to describe a group of people or any group of people has a best-selling author makes me sick. That's right. This is Nouveau Fat Law Studios here at WABC, and I can assure you this kind of behavior induces bulimia in anyone with an intellect. Anyone in an intellect. And it also even hurts me more because allegedly she was in my class at Michigan Law School. And I cannot imagine a Wolverine, a fellow Wolverine, that would try to burn and destroy the intellect of the American public. And to me, honestly, if I wanted to make a tweet about and culture, this is what I would say. She is the Bernie Madoff of minds and intellect in this country. Because how has she helped you, America? Because if she's helped educate you and make a stronger America, make a stronger Republican Party, tell me about it. Because I'm confused. 1-800-848-WABC. 1-800-848-9222. And Anne, if you're so good and you want attention, that's right. Do what you need to do. Buy a stage, put a one-woman show together, and see if you can sell tickets. Maybe you could fill a theater, and that would help you to get intimate with your audience, to know how to write, and to inspire people. But don't hide behind a Twitter account in a desperate move for wanting to be loved by the media. I know it's an addiction. Once you have that fame, you want more. But you don't do it with hate. Do it with love. Help people see something eternal, and that is the presence of God amongst us, moving amongst us because we need a leader at this election who's going to bring us together. The world is crying out. Look, they're all gaga over the papal visit, and there's all issues with that, which we'll discuss next week. But what are you doing? What are you doing? And to be honest with you, let's use that expletive from Ken's show, a song that we had to edit thoroughly to make sure it was airworthy here. This is from Ken Davenport's 
Spring Awakening that you can see on Broadway in an amazing Deaf West production. That's right, because that's what the Republican Party sounded like today and on Wednesday night. Could you believe that political debates now have commercials? That reality politics have been taken to this level and theatrical politics are moving so fast that we now have debates with questions asking candidates who are supposed to lead the nation, uh, the nation, the, the, the world's leading nation, what would be their code name for the Secret Service? Is that a question that America needs to hear? Or do you feel that that insulted your intelligence as listeners, as viewers of CNN? Do you think that that should have been a question that should have been asked? Because to me, I think the Republican Party did exactly what Ann Coulter wrote about and what this song sings about in many ways that we're going to explore. Because to try to take the Reagan legacy and put it into Simi Valley the way they did gives me great pause to concern because of a party looking ahead. They're looking back. And what does that mean for us as Republicans or educated voters? What are we looking for in our leader? Are we looking to be led into the future? Or are we going to try to recreate the past? That's the question that I have put forth. And here is a song that I really think encapsulates especially this, this statement by Governor Scott Walker. Our plan is based on the Ronald Reagan tax cuts of 1986. What did I do that I... Oi, 1986. How many years ago was that? What kind of global economy did we have? Were we dependent on China for manufacturing? Was there NAFTA? Was there even an EU in existence in 1986? Oi, wake up. Wake up, Mr. Walker. Wake up. Wake up, Republicans. You want to win this election. There's no reason why we shouldn't. But if you're going to reminisce about the past, you're supposed to know what you had that you don't have anymore. And that's two things, basically. Leadership and a vision for America has a hegemonic power. That's right, has a hegemonic power. And I tell you what, if there's a listener out there who can tell me what a hegemonic, what the term hegemon means, hegemonic means, I will give you a half-hour free tutorial with me via phone at a mutually agreeable time. If you call the studio and explain to us what a hegemonic power is, that number is one 800 848-WABC, 1-800-848-9222. And don't worry if you don't know what it means, because I guarantee you there wasn't a Republican candidate on that stage that knew what a hegemonic power is, was, or should be. Because when somebody says they want to make America great again, that they want to resume us as a hegemon, meaning the leader of the free world to bring democracy, to help the countries of the world improve quality of life. Not just quantity of life, but quality of life. And you see, by putting these issues to this music, you get an understanding of how you must actually, in some ways, find this entertaining to survive this, to make it worthy of something more than just 
political meandering, gerrymandering, or any other term you want to call it, because we are searching as a people, we are searching as a country, we are searching as all humanity for something better for our lives, something better for our country. And we must be able to do that. We must continue to be able to do that. And once again, let's Let's see a comment from an old show and see how that applies to what Governor Chris Christie said when he scolded Donald Trump and former Hewlett-Packard CEO Kali Fiorina by saying that he told them, and nobody cares about their business records. The American people wants to, the out-of-work construction worker wants to know how he's going to feed and fund his child's education. They could care less about their careers. Mr. Christie, very interesting how you, how you use the camera angle at the audience, how theatrical you were on that stage. Out-of-work construction workers, very interesting term considering that New Jersey has a lot of government contracts with construction workers. And I don't know if there's any out-of-work construction workers that, you know, in, in the state of New Jersey. I'm, I'd like to know why they're out of work when I see so many construction on the roads impossible to get to the Jersey Shore at any time that one wants to get there. And of course, we have, you know, Bridgegate. It's a funny term the way he, he uh, used that. Let's, let's hear a clip from someone from the past. Judy, 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 what do you think of the election since this is such a retro debate environment? It's a fine thing. Great, great. Choose a leading man, and I'm going to have one whether he's a fat old man or a squirt. Well, how about me? I don't want both. Uh. <laughs> you are my sunshine. And of course, we have to have Sinatra. New Jersey, born and bred, You'll one of our great from Hoboken, hometown shared by my grandfather. So let's find some sunshine in the debate, and let's see what Jeff from Queens has to say. Jeff, welcome to AM Power Talk. Good morning. Good morning. You were talking about hegemonic powers. Effectively, hegemon, the hegemon was the leader of a, of a small, almost a small uh, neighborhood within a country, and he, typically speaking, the hegemonic, the hegemon didn't didn't care for the people from one one almost neighborhood to the next. Well, so they they ruled with an iron fist and didn't allow people crossing back and forth between one one almost municipality to the other. That is a historical term that is more of a historical term than political. It would be, the, uh, would be equivalent to the right of seniorage, if you know what I mean by the right of seniorage. Have you heard that term before? I have not. So if I were to say the right of seniorage means that back in the day, as you describe as a hegemon, that would mean that if you lived in a feudal kingdom, that the lord of the kingdom would have rights to your wife before you were to take her to bed. But because right of seniorage means, in a political term, in a modern sense, that the government has the right of seniorage to actually print and make money. So you see that that term, from its historical perspective to its modern perspective, has two points. Hegemon has the same thing. As you helped enlighten our audience, hegemon historically meant what you said. I assume I have not been familiar with the term like that. But a hegemonic power really is a nation that helps to lead all nations, that steps up to the plate. And it has always, you know, it went from Britain to America, and now there's a vacuum for the, for the free world, and, and, you know, Putin and Russia are standing by waiting to fill this vacuum to help. And I would say, I would say Iran as well. Uh, 
one would hope that these would be democratic countries whose goal is to spread democracy and improve the quality of lives for all people, to give them more freedoms, not take away freedoms. Correct. But I would say that, that that's really the goal at this point, it seems, for Iran and other, I would call terrorist terrorist-type countries, are trying very hard to become that become that power as well. I think that that would be more of an authoritarian regime. I mean, I, I don't want to dice adjectives with you this morning at this hour, and I appreciate you calling, and certainly I will, if you wish to take the half hour, I'd like to talk with you more off-air about this and find out um, exactly the, the historical origins of hegemon. But really, hegemonic power... Being a hegemon helps people and helps society evolve to a more modern sensibility. Uh, have you ever heard of uh, Wallerstein's world systems analysis? Are you familiar with that at all? I have not. Okay. No, uh, it, it's, it's equivalent of center periphery in terms of, you know, what's happening in urban centers to rural centers, what's happening into developed countries to underdeveloped countries. And I think to put it into a perspective of what countries that are trying to emerge as authoritarian regimes – is an entirely different conversation. I'd like to have it with you, but off air, if that's all right. So stay on the line, and and, uh, we'll get your information. Thank you very much for the call. I appreciate it. This is Professor Presti here on AM Power Talk Radio. And we're talking about the theatricality of the political season, what is happening in theater of politics. That is right. You know, you can go see Hamilton discussing the historical evolution of our country to a free nation. But you could also see it right in the debates, right in your television sets, right on your radios. And we're trying to use theatrical terms, theatrical elements to help you see some sort of creativity, some sort of divine creative spark in all of this, that somehow a leader will emerge that will somehow make a difference, that will somehow bring us all to a better place and improve not only our jobs, our wage level, but really improve the quality of life for all people. And I think in Wednesday's debate, someone has really stood out, in my mind anyhow, that has taken nostalgia and moved it to help her move up in the polls and to make her a, a tour de force. of little faith... What did Lewis say to Clark when everything looked bleak? What did Sir Edmund say to Tenzing as they struggled toward Everest Peak? What did Washington say to his troops as they crossed the Delaware? I'm sure you're well aware. What they say? We can do. That's right. We can do. I say that this song really. We can do. Applies to Carly Fiorina. She surprised me. She came out on that debate, has a leader in the vein of Maggie Thatcher, has one who had knowledge of world events and who was going to use that knowledge to make the world a safer and better place. Like our last caller, Jeff, said about things that are happening in the Middle East. She was prepared to take them on, to, take, to bring democracy to these countries that are a threat to the world, and to also show that the Republican Party can have a female presence that will help unite females for this, for this election and hopefully cause a victory. I was very impressed with Carly Fiorina, and I think that anyone who saw the debate comes away saying, 
that the Republicans better take, take note of her and put her on a ticket or certainly make her a player because she can make tremendous bridges to the female population. But, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what we say, no matter what we do, only one guy really matters in these debates at this point. The biggest, the best, the leader in the poll, everything about him is superlative. And of course, no who they that's Donald Trump. No matter what you do, where you go, whether he answers questions, whether he doesn't answer questions, everyone is talking about Donald Trump. And if you go to CNN.com right now, he's on the front page. Could you imagine? Fox News has real stories of uh, you know local events and, and news of a different nature, but he's on the front page of CNN.com and with regard to his positions on the Muslim question that maybe he heard, maybe he didn't hear, but no matter what, what would the Republican Party be without Donald Trump? I don't know. I certainly think it would be far less entertaining, and everything he says in some ways helps to bring people closer to understanding why they have to have creative political solutions, why they need theatrical politics this season to tackle the issues, to tackle the threats, to tackle the challenges that face all of us as Americans at this time. And now as we are about to wind down the show, we have one last issue that something else stood out very clearly from Wednesday's debate to me. Ted Cruz. I'm looking at this man, Ted Cruz, and all I could think to myself is something's going on there. I don't know what it is, but he reminds me of Jim McGreevy. I don't know what. There's an aura. There's something about him that is McGreevy-esque. And I think that this really speaks to what we're trying to do on the show in terms of why we're so selective with selecting sponsors and how we're trying to find people to support us to make sure they believe in our vision So there's no differences, there's no irreconcilable questions or issues that come up that I want supporters to truly support me and in the vision for ampowertalk.com, what Professor Presti is trying to do. But I see a rainbow connection between Governor, between Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, and the gay community that is very McGreevy-esque in a different sort of way. I didn't think of that until I saw this debate. But I did some research, and this is what I found, which I found amazing. First of all, one of Ted Cruz's major donors, number one donor, is Peter Thiel, the largest supporter of Cruz. He's an openly gay, billionaire Silicon Valley genius, has supported Cruz from his Texas days, giving millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars to Cruz. Also has Solicitor General of Texas. Cruz refused to argue the Lawrence v. Texas case. And more importantly, and more at home, is this question that I, I, I'm, very, I, I'm very confused over because when I heard it, I didn't know what to make of it. But the I owners of a very big gay establishment in New York as I'll and other gay business owners hosted an event for Cruz and gave him money and then took the check back because they didn't realize what they were doing once it hit the media. So go check this out at ampowertalk.com. You will see various articles on the, uh, from the New York Times about this that's, that question all the major players and Ted Cruz's backers if there is this rainbow connection. But I want to know where does Ted Cruz stand with the gay population? 
population with the gay demographic community. Is he on? I, I don't know. I, I'm very confused by this because Ted Cruz comes out very anti-gay marriage, which is fine. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. But if you're going to be promoting something like we're trying to do an ampowertalk.com and AM Power Talk Radio here on WABC, we want backers, we want sponsors that believe in our vision, that help strengthen us, not question us, not, not, not put things in spectrum. And look at that. Think of that, people. This has not come up in the media yet, but there is something there. There is a very McGreevy-esque connection. So this is Professor Presti for AMPowerTalkRadio.com on WABC. Radio here, uh, 770 AM. Go to ampowertalk.com, support us. But remember, no matter what is happening in the world around you, you must smile, you must find joy, because in finding that joy, you will be able to draw closer to your Creator, to God, and in that joy, you'll be able to make more educated decisions to have a better quality of life. So remember, Professor Presti, AM Power Talk teaching you how to think better, not what to think. Thank you for listening. I hope you have an amazing week.